Welcome to another edition of the Basketball Teacher Podcast. Our mission is to bring you discussions on a wide array of topics in the coaching world to grow players on and off the court. You can connect with us on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, and also reach us directly through email at basketballteacherpodcast at gmail.com. Now, here's your host, Coach Mike Hernandez. Hello again, welcome, and thank you for joining us as we continue our mental health series here on the Basketball Teacher Podcast. And within the field of mental health, we all know that there are certain unique mental health challenges that go through an athlete's mind. And we as coaches are always trying to balance that with the development of our players on the court or on the field, but also making sure that we're taking care of them mentally and making sure that we're encouraging them and being the best mental health advocate for our athletes as well. And also, as we know, playing a sport can definitely have a profound psychological and mental effect on players. And sometimes those effects can be really long lasting. Fingers crossed that they're for the positive. Uh, To help discuss this topic with me, I'm very happy to be joined uh, by sports psychologist, Dr. Megan Cannon. Dr. Cannon, how are you? Doing well, thank you. How are you doing? I am doing really well, all things considered, as we record this within uh, the the COVID-19 era. All things considered, doing pretty well. And thank you uh, for for joining us and and spending some time to talk about this. Very important Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. (laughs) Great. This would be a great conversation. So before uh, we get into some of the topic questions, I want to make sure that uh, those watching and those listening kind of know your journey and so within that there's kind of two parts kind of your your athlete journey that you went through and then also what was your kind of like your mental health journey that led you to want to pursue uh being a sports psychologist totally it's like phase one phase two and that that's really honestly is this kind of how i look mm-hmm. like or look at it so i began being involved with athletics when i was very little i think i was on my first swim team when i was five um and so i swam competitively played softball danced pretty aggressively throughout elementary, middle, high school, I chose to retire from swimming and softball when I was in high school and I danced through college. I was on the team at my university. And so that was those for me, the the shift there. And then while I was at my undergrad at Wilkes University in Pennsylvania, I started leaning into psychology. I had thought maybe before going into college that that was an area of interest, wasn't positive, but then took more classes and it was a good fit for me. The only thing with psychology is though, you really cannot do anything with just a bachelor's. So the day that you sign up for that being your major, you're pretty much then also signing up for a graduate school commitment. And so I was fortunate enough to get into a PhD program in clinical psychology at Nova Southeastern University in Fort Lauderdale. I moved down there and just, I had no idea what sports psychology was, you know, at the time, you know, did not know. And there happened to be a sports psychologist on the faculty and staff there. So I had the opportunity, I just happened to be matched with him. And then during my fourth year of a student there, I was able to do an elective clinical rotation through a sports psychology program and clinic that they had. It wasn't one you were able to do for your first couple clinical rotations because it was a bit more specialized just with the athlete population. So one of our responsibilities was the concussion component, return to play decisions. It was right around the time that 
the impact and concussion baseline testing was becoming mandatory uh, for athletes to do for any type of sport participation. So that was one of our roles. And then the second role was that we were the therapists on retainer for all of the university athletes. So whether they were having something more of a clinical nature, anxiety, depression, and something in that direction, or it really was a, a straight sport performance, I'm doing well, want to get better, they would come to us. And so it was at that time that I really had the opportunity to fuse like phase one and phase two for me together of, you know, here's this whole athletic experience in this world and this language that I was very familiar with really combining and meshing well with the psychology world that I had more recently been really involved with. So it was at that time I was like, okay, this for me is, is just a good fit. And so after residency and postdoc, I joined a practice in Pennsylvania that was a group practice with three sports psychologists and a sport nutritionist. And then um, this upcoming August will actually be two years of me being independent where I run my own practice. So I see athletes individually here in Pennsylvania in my office, which right now remotely, um, and we do anything from, you know, their transition through or back from injury, anxiety, depression, you know, the clinical stuff, plus sport performance, a lot of performance anxiety I see. I think that would that's one of the huge ones. But then I also consult with teams locally across the country as well, do keynote speaking and working on developing online programming for performance anxiety because it's ultimately, you know, that's why I love this that you're doing this series in terms of mental health, because you know, we teach basic math to students starting at very little ages. Yeah. But we do not teach teach basic emotions to anyone, but we all have them. Like how silly is that when we yeah, think about right. it? Um, New York is the first state that has now required mental health education being part of their high school health curriculum. But even that is within a year or two old. And so it's, we really just do not teach humans these human things that, yeah, that we just yeah. have, which are emotions and, you know, through athletics and, and other places, they obviously come out. And so that's where I have the opportunity then to meet with some awesome, amazing individuals that are athletically inclined and get to add a skill set and a knowledge set for them to apply in their sport, but then also very much transferable skills outside yeah. of the world of sports as well. Right. Well, it's so true what you mentioned about, about the mental health education standpoint and how a lot of our athletes don't really have any sort of education on that. I, th I think sometimes even I've kind of just made assumptions along the way. Like, oh, well, you've had your parents, you have your family. Like, you, 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 know, you, know, what's, you know what's going on. You know what you're doing. But it's definitely not the case. You know, even sometimes I, I've been in situations where my players just can't even really articulate something about like what they're going through or what's going on just because they may not even really know how to. And it, it may seem sometimes like how, how are you not able to but like you said if nobody's really taught them how to communicate yeah. or how to advocate for themselves in a mental mental health standpoint then they're not going to be able to do that exactly like you said so one of the things that you mentioned was uh, about anxiety and, and kind of dealing with that and and how that's something that is is prevalent and so with your experience ha having done this for, for some time do you feel that uh, teen athletes in particular, are, are they under more pressure than they were before? Are there challenges that you see that teen athletes are going through that maybe you didn't even go through uh, when you were a teen yourself? So much. It, really? is, it is such a different world. Um, you know, I mean, and even the, just the numbers are, are speaking to that as well in terms of the prevalence of anxiety, just culturally, you know, those numbers have been shifting and increasing. And so then when you look at an athletic population, they have 
the typical stressors that a, a non-athlete would have, you know, your school expectations, social, family systems and dynamics, which, you know, I mean, they, they can be quite stressful as well. But then you add on top of it this other stressor, which in and of itself, the world of athletics has become so much more intense than it ever was. I mean, there are athletes and, and I hear it, you know, they're, they're telling me that their high school coaches or, you know, are telling them to specialize so early and all, and they're getting pressure and like, Oh, you shouldn't go play that sport. You have to come to this. And, and all of these off season training expectations and it's optional, but you know, like, yeah, is it yeah. really, you right. know, all of these things. And so there's an increased expectation, absolutely 100% from the sports world. It is a multi-billion dollar industry, youth mm -hmm. athletics. And at the base of it, you won't, I remember, you know, back when I was playing, it was very, you know, there was a couple people that played club, maybe, but now I really, I can't swing a bat without hitting like three different club programs and a couple people. Like, so yeah. it is such a lucrative business that now you have opportunities that, are now available and there's this interesting parental peer pressure where parents are coming from a place of i want to give my kids the most opportunity and all of the resources and so if so-and-so's parents are doing that when i'm not doing it mm -hmm. oh no you know and so it's it's a yeah. big it's a big ball of, of yard to unwind you know there's not just one specific source of it but they are absolutely more stressed than before and even academically um there's a lot more expectations of like AP tests and a, like, you know, yeah. taking these higher classes for, and, and so you have their worlds just in a more intense and fast paced situations than the majority of, of us as adults experienced. But what we have, so we have increased expectations and competitiveness, but we have not given them the skills to match that. So right. that's where we're seeing a lot of the deficit here is they, there are these increased expectations, pressure, also awareness with social media, which is like, we could probably oh, yeah. have an entire podcast just on that. Oh, but now you also have this, this very fast moving train, but you have not like updated yeah. the operating system, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's for just teaching or, or going through and trying to explain mental health with how we kind of handled it without that much pressure the message can kind of get lost because they're in a completely different environment, it seems like, than, than a lot of our players are. Mm -hmm. And so some of the things that we say may have worked when we were playing or when we were athletes however long ago, but like it doesn't really reflect the world um, that our players are living in right now. Right. So, uh, let, let's talk, let's touch briefly on social media because a lot of people ask me about it. A lot of coaches are, are worried about, about that. In your in your opinion, what is like the most effective use for like a teen athlete to use social media for? Because I can think of a lot of the negatives and a lot of a lot of the the peer pressure and a lot of you know be, being worried and everything. But is there an effective use to social media that that players can be using today? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You know, on what yeah. I mean, even the NBA, like certain teams during playoffs, you know, they have they have basically curfews with it. You know, because there's yeah. there, like you said, we're gonna we're gonna stay positive with it though. I do think there is some utility, um, especially right now. You know, our we, we don't have the opportunity to see friends, and and you know, for a lot of for a lot of this past year interfacing remotely and digitally really has been a, a very positive thing. So, so there is that in terms of keeping connected and, and that, so there, there's the positive of that. The other positive utility I see for it, and you have to be very careful, mm -hmm. are finding, and there actually are some really positive accounts out there that do talk about 
you know, emotional and mental health education. There are some wonderful body positive Instagram accounts that are geared for females, for teenage females, you know, that's very body positive and, you know, um, you know, but I, I would say for every like one of those accounts, there's probably a hundred that are, mm -hmm. are opposite messages. But if you choose to consume media and you're very diligent about it and that's just not social media all types of media but you're kind of aware of the low-key messages it's sending you mm -hmm. um you can then just be more of of a knowledgeable and aware consumer where if i'm on instagram or other things i can choose to unfollow or unengage in certain types of posts yeah. so then my algorithms become more positive right. you know but it, that takes a lot of self-control and a lot of awareness to do that. Um, but you know, there are, there are, and can be positives if you are following the right accounts. I'm really glad that, that you, you mentioned that because by the time this episode comes out, my, my first one will have been released where I talked to uh, Christine Marie Fry, who talked about the same thing about it's, it's who you follow. It's what you're consuming. Like what intake mm -hmm. are you as, as like a player as anybody, like, what are you looking at and, and what are you trying to get out of it? Like what, are you using social media for? Are you using it to like, compare yourself to others? Are you using it to inspire you? Like some of the mm -hmm. accounts that you mentioned. And it's, I think it's a tough conversation for coaches to have because we don't want to feel like we're telling people like, this is what you better be following on social media. But it, it sounds like maybe just having that conversation of like, what do you guys like, what do you like follow on Instagram, so to speak? Like, what it, what do you use social media for? Maybe a lot of times our players don't even really reflect on that and like what they're even using social media for. Yeah, and you know, and that's the, the we have, there is this like powerful tool, right? That's in the hands of, I mean, very young people, you know, I mean, it's mm -hmm. not, it's not a shock anymore if like a 10 year old or 11 year old has an Instagram. Yeah. And the thing is like their brains, and I, I you know, I, I joke that like God has a wicked sense of humor and, and you can mm -hmm. take that and, and, you know, whatever religious affiliation you mm -hmm. choose in that when babies are first born, they do not smile. They do not laugh. They give you no positive feedback as a new parent of that child. And that is like, you don't know if you're doing anything wrong. You don't know what you're doing. But then fast forward to teenage years where you have these humans that don't look like kids anymore and they're tall and some of the boys they sound more mannish and every now and again they say things and it's like oh my goodness mm -hmm. that was insightful and so they like look like an adult they can sometimes walk and talk like an adult but their brain functionally cognitively and developmentally like is not an adult brain they do not have the executive functioning component of it to look at an instagram post and like or any type of thing any type of media any type of you know, that critical or like cognitive thinking of that executive functioning, that's that next level deep thinking, like that part of our brain turns on in our deep teens to early twenties. And so when you give that same power to a 13 year old that doesn't have those filters, like that's really tough. That's yeah. really tough. And so even like, like you were saying, you know, of, of are they even aware that they're getting all these messages? And it's, you know, on one hand, maybe they might be a little, but like the true depth of it, depending on their age and where they're at developmentally, probably not. It, and talking about, you know, how young some people are when they get access to social media, it, it's kind of to the point where they're almost born with a cell phone. They're kind of born with social media. Like, like I, like we can remember like the pre-social media and then like post-social media. But to them, this is just it's just normal. And and mm -hmm. so 
what they follow on Instagram, what they like follow on Snapchat. That's just like part of the routine. And, yeah. and then that's probably something for us as coaches to think about is, you know, even like you said, the way a 13 year old is going to use social media and their relationship with it is, is going to be different from like a 17 year old. And even that 17 year old still isn't necessarily equipped mentally to, to be able to process and handle like all the different things that, that social media offers. So it's it feels a little daunting <laughs> a bit mm -hmm. as a coach, but I think just the awareness of it and just understanding that a lot of our players' mental mental health and could be affected by by what's mm -hmm. on social media and what they post on there. Yeah, and just having and even being aware of you know with within anybody's respective sport or you know gender or you know whatever like the age group or demographic you're coaching is you know I think so much it's they get these messages of like don't do this don't do that where it's like hey how about you follow this account like mm -hmm. this is a really good one or this is a really good one and so even from a coaching perspective if there are within your sport for your age group or you know whatever wherever your team kind of falls if there are certain accounts that are really great for that age group you know instead of like just providing them with mm -hmm. that resource and actively like trying to to fill their feed with some better stuff can also yeah. be something that you know rather than telling them no all the time of just <laughs> hey you guys can be on it anyway totally follow this account it's great you know and for all these reasons and yeah yeah and it, and it reaffirms uh, a thought that I've heard from a couple of people, which is to make sure that you as a coach, like have a positive team account, have like your own social media account that's positive and, and filled with like the great things that your team and your players are doing, because hopefully your players are going to be following that. So it gives right. like a, an example of, hey, follow this account and you can kind of see like the positive messages that come from that. And like you said, not just telling them what not to do, but like here's an example of a good one and one that is going to they're going to be interested in they're going to have an investment right. in hopefully if it's like their right. own team that they're on i hope it like not blow your mind with <laughs> I, I, I hope i hope so <laughs> so one of the things that um I, i'm glad you mentioned too is we kind of go through our decision making and our processes as coaches and we're kind of saying this information as if the the kids that we're coaching have like the same like ability to to process and, and mentally handle some of these situations and and one of those are high pressure situations you know this i know this that athletics does present a lot of high pressure situations that you know teenage athletes are going to be facing in front of crowds and in tough situations like mm -hmm. that how how as coaches can we try to take some of that pressure off and not overwhelm them and make them feel that a varsity basketball game in January is, is, is the most overwhelmingly important thing they're ever going to do in their life. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, there's a lot that goes, I think, from like day one of culture of the team, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and that's where we really have to go back to the goal here where I like talk with parents across the country and like whenever I do parent talks, one of the first things I ask is why did you choose to put your kid in this? Why? You know, and majority of them or most of them like played athletics when they were growing up and, and the responses I get fall in the category of time management, ability to deal with adversity, working well with others, communication, teamwork, uh, diligent, like, okay. It's, ne I have never once heard like to beat the kid down the street. That's not the goal, but fast forward, whether it's as they're increasing in age or when you're looking at like a high school, college situation, like all of a sudden that balance shifts 
And so then the culture typically, you know, is like uh, playoffs are winning. And, and, and I'm not saying that there's not room for obviously like, you know, that, the competitive nature that is athletics, but if, that is like the culture and the foundation and the lifeblood of that team where not winning is not acceptable and you are not allowed to make mistakes and you have to do this perfect. And we are going to practice this until you get it perfect. And if you don't do it perfectly, you're going to run like that just sounds stressful even talking about it, you know? And so, so that's where like from even before day one, like coaches have to go in with that awareness of what culture are you setting up and what's your goal here? You know, I, why I love sports psychology truly is I have the opportunity to talk with athletes and I know within those groups that I talk with, there are 100% kids that I look and see. And when I say kid, it could be anywhere from like 12 to 22, but I know that there are kids that would never set foot in my office that would never listen to a mental health talk or conversation but because it's framed with this is something that can help you in basketball, but this is something that can help you in football, or this is something that can help you in swimming. Now there's a buy-in and sports are a pressure cooker situation that we put kids in at a very young age where we're able to see where they do have positive skill sets, but also skill deficits. And we can put them in these pressure filled situations yet in a very safe way. Right. Right. So now with a person that's 16, I can see where you're lacking some skills and let's build some skills. Let's build some knowledge. Let's like build this now, not when you're 36 and it's like not just a high school basketball game type Mm -hmm. of a problem. Mm -hmm. And so that's where even as coaches like coming into seasons and you know, I understand obviously like I'm a sports psychologist, like records and championships, like that's, that's like fun, you know, and that's kind of part of it. But if that's all my culture is about, and if that's the only thing that's accepted and I'm losing sight of the character development, that's the goal. It's the character development. Then that can, can kind of facilitate a very pressure filled world, you know, versus some coaches that, um, they are about the athlete and the team where it's like, how are you doing? How is this? Like, oh man, you guys have had a tough week at school. Like we're going to do something fun today. Like, yeah, we could use this two hours to practice, but like, we're going to play games and do relays and like, you know, having some of those things where you're showing, yeah, we're competitive and yes, we care. And, and you have to be on time. There are team expectations, but there is more to this than just the winning or the outcome. And if you make a mistake, you're not going to get chewed out for it. You're not like, you know, and, and so yeah. there's a lot of it, I think does really start with the coach in terms of like the culture that you're creating day one mm-hmm. to help alleviate some of that. It, it, we talk a lot about like relationships and just the importance that relationships have and, and building connections with your players. And I, I just got done with a conversation with a coach who talked about one of his points of emphasis is making sure that players feel safe on on the court with them and they feel like they're in an environment where they can make mistakes. And I think that one of the things, and and you can speak to this, I'm I'm sure, is that a lot of teenagers feel that that it's so outcome driven and that a coach's like of a player or their family's like love of a player is outcome Mm -hmm. based on how they perform on that game. And so are, are those conversations that you've had to have, whether it's with players or family members, where players totally. feel that like their their parents' love for them is just based on like the outcome yeah. of the game? Absolutely. That is literally one of the first 
after I debunk the like, oh my gosh, your kid's going to like totally go to college for free. After I debunk that myth, it's then having that because you, and I love that you brought that up because that's something that's so, what we don't want to see happen where an athlete, their self-worth is reliant or dependent on an outcome athletically, mm-hmm. right? Like if, if I did poorly in my basketball game and now I think I'm, I'm a worthless human being because that's all my utility and I did it that is such a dangerous place, especially for, I mean, you'd think you'd think as, as a 60 year old, you know, like that, how that would be really tough when you have then a 15 year old who's already the teenage years are tough. And now it's like, well, you're not doing well in basketball or you're not getting the playing time or you've lost it bad. And so that's where I always, t- I'm telling parents all the time. And even with coaches, it's like, you cannot have your, the way in which you interact with your athlete or your kid based on that. And the thing is, because all parents be like, well, I never say anything, but it's like, you're right. I'm not saying that you're necessarily saying something or not saying something, but behind closed doors, I hear about the sigh or yeah. the, oh my gosh, like my parent is quiet mm. on a ride home when we didn't do well. Mm. Or I just like the, like, you know, and, and so they know. Like they pick it up. So it's not even necessarily that parents are saying things. And so whenever I talk to parents, I'm like, listen, it is an unconditional positive regard and focus. You made the financial choice before your kid had an opportunity to do so. You made that financial choice. Sometimes they're going to do well. Sometimes they're not going to do well. But you need to unconditionally positive regard for them. Absolutely. And as a parent, even more so, because you don't know the messages that they're getting from other people. You don't know if their coach is interacting with them in a way, or if there are certain people on their team and this happens that talk to them when they do well, or don't talk to them when they don't. So as a parent, you not only have to send that message to them from you, but you basically have to then overcompensate Mm -hmm. for what other messages that they may be getting about their utility as a human being from other people based on how they're doing athletically. Yeah. Well, that makes a lot of sense in that the sense that, you know, we as coaches, some of the things that, that we worry about are, are, are the parents that we hear if they're like screaming at the stands or the ones who are, you know, screaming at us even and, and, and to understand that like these are probably the same pressures that, that the players are feeling and they're probably feeling that same thing from maybe sometimes it's family members or outside sources. And so we as coaches have to kind of go the extra step to almost overcorrect in a sense and be like, mm-hmm. listen, this, this sport is really just a vehicle to, to get you in a better position like later in life. Like this isn't going to be a situation where all I care about is you as a basketball player because, and again, this is probably something you can speak to, is that we definitely don't want a situation in which our players' identities are only that sport because eventually at some point the sport, they're going to be done playing. And then it's like, well, what did we leave them with? And that, mm-hmm. that might be something. I'm sure that's something you've seen before where it's oh, yeah. like, what do I do now? Now that the sport is done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is. And that's a huge, a huge thing. And that's where, you know, now that we're seeing, you know, kids specialize younger and younger. So instead of like, I'm a basketball player and a baseball player and a football player, it's like, mm-hmm. I'm a basketball player. It's like, okay, you're 12, you know, but I totally agree with you. And there's actually 
like a lot of research about that. And, and um, years ago, there was a coach, Greg Strobel, who was with the U.S. national wrestling team. And it was in the, I can't remember if it was like the 1990 or 2000 year, um, but he went to, you know, training camp and was there as a coach. And the first couple weeks there, the guys started doing really well. Um, but then eventually plateaued, which like doesn't make sense, right? It's like, all right, we have theoretically the best guys in the country. You have the best coaches. We're like America. We care a lot about sports. So like you have really nice facilities, but they weren't getting better. So Greg Strobel was like, all right, y'all got to go get a part-time job of 20 hours a week or like a real aggressive hobby that you're spending 20 hours a week with. Mm -hmm. And after they did that, that plateau stopped. They started improving because they had other things. If they had a bad day of wrestling, it wasn't like, oh, I suck. It was like, well, bad day there, but I did really well with this today. They had other things to talk about. They had other things to do. And so rounding out that identity is so unbelievably important um, because whether it's an injury, whether, I mean, sports can be done tomorrow for any athlete. It's just, and it's just, bye, you know? And so having those things, having other areas is so incredibly important. And an exercise that I love doing with my athletes that like coaches, it's, it's a great thing to do is I have them get like a piece of paper and draw 12 circles in it and, or bubbles. Um, and one, they put, you know, whatever sport they play. So basketball. And then the other one they put, or in another bubble, they would put student because typically with these age groups, like those are two there. And then I challenge them to think of other roles that they have in their life. And so typically like the first couple are pretty easy. You know, it's like, okay, like daughter or son, brother, sister, friend, teammate, crickets. <laughs> and so then it's like, all right, let's think. And it's all right. If you like drawing, you're an artist. Yeah. If you like baking, you're a baker. If you like cooking, you're a chef. If you like hiking, you're a hiker, you know? And so I challenge them to think about, and then sometimes they'll get on a roll and have to add more bubbles. Most of the time though, I mean, I've had that happen a couple times, but mm-hmm. it challenges them to see that. And then when they're all done, be like, all right, put your hand over basketball. I'm like, all right, did like your arm disappear? Like, did something happen here? You know, like, yeah. no, you're still there. And there are sometimes that certain bubbles take more of our time. So they're maybe bigger than others, but these other things don't disappear. Yeah. And at some point in time, when that basketball bubble no longer is there, whether you retire, you're over it, whatever, mm-hmm. um, it's going to get filled with something else because ultimately the, the skill, the talent is an internal thing basketball is the vehicle out just like how cooking or art and so it's a really nice visual exercise to help them see like oh i am more than just like a basketball playing 12th grader it's like yeah you are you really truly are we just don't always like think about it or talk about it but it's a great exercise to do as a team or even just with athletes individually yeah no that that, that's that's great i think like you said it's just a great visual and so they they can kind of take a step away from that identity. And again, like you're not a, a basketball player at, at 12 years old. It's like, well, you're a 12 year old who is this, 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 and you happen to play basketball too. Like basketball players at the front of your identity or, or anything like that. And it sounds to me like one of the things that coaches could do is to make sure that they're having those conversations with their players about what else is going on in your life. What else are you interested mm-hmm. in? Like, what else do you do? I think that sometimes players might get the sense that their coach maybe just all they care about is their sport and they don't Mm -hmm. even like 
know anything else about them. Yeah. And that might, that might end up creating pressure too. When, when this person who's, you know, all he cares about is the results about what I'm doing mm-hmm. on the basketball court or what, or what, that's all she cares about is what I'm doing on the basketball court. And they don't even know who I am as a player. So it sounds like to me, it's really important that again, like maybe we overemphasize as coaches in asking those questions and having those conversations mm-hmm. about things not even related to the sport. Yeah. And I think right now, because I was having, you know, some Zooms and things with different coaches. And one of the coaches I was talking with said that they had a talent show, like through yeah. Zoom. And he, and she was like, it was crazy. I've known some of these kids. She's a swim coach. So she's like known some of them for a very long time. She's like, I had no idea mm-hmm. that so-and-so played the saxophone so well, or so-and-so did this. And, and it's crazy. And so even as coaches, you know, this generation is so much more relational, yeah. so much more relational. And so even just having the awareness of like, oh my gosh, like how are, how's your saxophone lessons going? That was mm-hmm. so impressive. That 15 second exchange is going to do so much for that athlete, even though it had nothing to do with your sport, but just investment and buy-in and trust for you, for the program, because you care, you know, and you mm-hmm. took 15 seconds to remember that they played an instrument and be like, yo, how's that going? Yeah. And so you're right. It's, you know, it's these small things and little conversations that whether they're big fun team activities that you do, or just, Hey, we're on the bus and, you know, we're, we're having the opportunity just to like kind of sit close to each other and, and having those conversations, mm-hmm. but they're so helpful. Right. Uh, you, you can learn so much about, about your players and then they'll, they'll just, I remember is <laughs> this past year one of my girls she she was helping make posters for for senior night and they were just beautiful and I don't I'd known her for two years and I was like I had no idea that you like drew and she's like oh yeah she's like I draw all the time like I, I just never know yeah she's like this is what I I'm like but like I I, I never knew because in basketball I'm not really seeing her draw that much but then you just yeah. have that opportunity to see something like that you're like whoa like you're an artist too. Like you can do all this other stuff. And, you know, she's like, Oh yeah, sure. You know, I'm like, Oh, like that's awesome that you could do that. And yeah, just those little conversations. If you have a player who like, you know, has a test coming up about something, just like ask them how their test went and, and things yeah. like that are just super, super important. And something else yeah. you said too, which I, I've heard kind of reemphasized through the conversations I've had with coaches is you talked about players when they recognize something's a little bit different with the way that their parents acting I think kids, maybe we don't give them enough credit, but like teenagers and kids and athletes, they, they listen and they see everything. Like they see how the coach is acting. They see how their parents acting. They hear what everybody's saying. And, and sometimes I think we don't give them enough credit for that. So like they're picking up on all of these things that we yeah. think that they're not, but, but they're, they're internalizing all of it. And like you said, sometimes that, that comes out behind, uh, behind closed doors with you. Yeah. So, I want to shift uh, a little bit to, to, to motivation, and especially uh, we're going to talk a, a little bit later about the, the specialization and, and the effects that that could have. But we're always looking as coaches to try and, and be like good motivators and, and try and make sure that our players feel, feel motivated and they feel, feel confident and you know, trying, to, trying to turn that switch on so that they're, they're motivated, encouraged, and confident and ready to go. Uh, what is the right way and then we'll probably touch on like the wrong way for like a coach to to properly motivate and encourage their players and get them going without like going way way too far yeah you know it's so funny it's like 
here's the, like the, it, it's crazy with motivation. It's, it's literally a, what came first, the chicken or the egg? Mm. What came first success or motivation? Yeah. Cause as humans, if I don't, if I'm not good at something, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> but if I'm good at something then I'm going to do it. And so, you know, there's, there's this really, it's kind of an interesting paradigm when you think about it. Of, mm. We put a lot of this emphasis on motivation of like, you need it to do well. And it's like, well, actually you probably don't. It's harder to do if you don't have motivation. Like it's definitely, you got to force yourself more to do it. But then once you get the ball rolling, it can be really helpful. And so in just viewing motivation and its correlation with, with being successful or, or having that feeling of success, you know, something that coaches can do or, and, and it also like can kind of overlap with confidence, you know, whether it's at the beginning of a practice of like, all right, what were like our all-star plays from last practice and talking about it of like, all right, or even having like shout outs in the beginning of practice of, you know, okay, like everybody takes time, like shouting at a different team member of whether it was something good that they did, like basketball, or even just like, I was not in a good mood, but you know, so-and-so like helped me out in the locker room. They just got me really excited. And so just like, want to thank you, you know, and so just having those moments of calling people out. And again, it's, it's, it might sound kind of weird, but like once you just make it a part of your culture, then it, you know, it, it becomes part of the yeah. culture. Another awesome thing, which is something that it's so silly. We always wait till the end if teams do this, like at a team banquet where you put together like a highlight reel yeah. and then you're sitting at the banquet and you're like, oh my gosh, we were so good. Like we want to go do that. Well, why don't you do that before a game? I mean, yeah, it does take some time, no yeah. doubt, but the film is probably there. They're in this day and age now, especially with the athletes, their tech awareness is so high that they could probably splice something like that together in about three minutes of yeah. time yeah, right. where, you know, so little things like that where it's really showing like, hey, like, look at this awesome thing. And also you would be so, it's so funny for coaches, like you remember when you were little, like some of the times the smallest rewards were like the funniest and the best that I can uh -huh. think of is there's a swim program that I was doing work with and their coach went online and it was just this mixed bag of swim caps that he got from some swim distributor. They just had a bunch of extra ones and we're just selling, you know, bulk, like just like a hundred of them for like 10 bucks. And he was like, literally, it was the cheapest thing. And there were these caps that were from club teams all over the country. They'd never heard of them, half these teams. Mm -hmm. But every Friday, one boy and one girl would get the get the cap of the week they would get to go choose and the coach would choose the athlete sometimes it was like oh my gosh like you had an awesome meet great other times it was dude you were the first one in the water all all week all practice or you were the last one helping to clean up and so they would choose this once a week like and the coach said like they the team just got so invested in it where they were like who's gonna get the cap who's gonna get the cap yeah. it, was like, it was literally like a 10 cent thing but for the entirety of this season, it created this really cool like, thing within the team that just improved the motivation within the culture. And so whether it's like doing the positive pointing out of stuff or doing highlight reels, or even thinking of something so basic as finding a little tiny, whether it could be stickers, it could be things of just, hey, athlete of the week, as long as it's not 100% on motivation or on, on, not motivation, I'm sorry, on outcome. So it's not like the player that has the best stats at the end of the week, you know, because then, then we're just reinforcing the, 
the thing we're not trying to reinforce, but having it to just be character qualities and like all these different things. And when they're little rewards and, and stuff like that with, which as a coach, yeah, that would be a monetary investment in the beginning, but it doesn't have to be a big one. Yeah. And that buy-in um, just really cool things can happen. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure if you can get like that level of buy-in and that level of excitement for, for a 10 cent <laughs> swim yeah, camp, right? I'm sure a lot of people would be willing to, to, to put that investment in. And so it sounds like, one of the things that coaches could do then is kind of redefine what success means and kind of have a different definition because if, if success does lead to further motivation, then success can't just be the final score at the end of the game. If we redefine and reshape what it means to be successful, then in turn, that's going to possibly lead to higher levels of motivation because success can just come in all, all different kinds of forms. Am I, am I correct in thinking that? Yeah, totally. And I, I love that. And I like just having different measures of success, you know, and where, yes, outcome is absolutely one. But you even think about in a basketball game that a team loses, like there were still things you did well. Mm -hmm. throughout the course of that game you know I work with a lot yeah. of swimmers and I'm like you didn't dive in and swim backwards like <laughs> you, there were things you were doing yeah. that you did really well and so it's making those more process oriented goals yeah. so maybe that you know with basketball it's like you guys are trying to like really run a certain defense and like that you've really been focused on just certain movements mm -hmm. and it's like all right you guys did that you nailed that where it doesn't matter what the outcome of the game was, but like, hey, did they execute that really well? Or were there certain just process, you know, those, those steps that you take on the way to win the game? But mm -hmm. when there's those process-oriented things or other measures of outcome or success, well, now it's like, right, well, we didn't win, but you know what? We really improved on this. We really improved on this. We did run all of these plays, you know, like, and we did all of this stuff. Yeah, yeah awesome. Like we had a good game. Yeah. Right. Okay. The other team beat us, but there's then more things to look at and observe and kind of take away than just whatever that final score was. Yeah. Cause you and I both know the final score is not in your control. There are so oh, yeah. many things like outcome. And that's something I talk to athletes about all the time. Like it's not under your control. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, 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 that makes a lot of sense. And it reminds me uh, of a story I had one of my friends, uh, he was telling me about how he was coaching and, and one of his mottos and one of his philosophies that he tried to get his team to understand was about like getting like 1% better, just like getting a little bit better each time, regardless of the outcome. And he was coaching a game and it was, it was a basketball game. And at the end of the game that they had lost and he, he was a little bit upset and he was a little bit frustrated. And then one of his players went up to him and he's like, well, coach, I, I think we got 1% better. This I think we got a little bit better this game. And he was like, well, he's like, yeah, I mean, that, that's what I've been preaching like that, you know, like, and that's, it's, it's, it's kind of fun. If, if you're embracing the process, then right? you have to acknowledge that like the growth is still happening and that it's not yeah. just out outcome driven. And so, yeah, like just, right. If you, like, you didn't swim backwards, like, I like that. Like if you lost a game, let's say by you know, 40 to 35, well, like you still scored 35 points. And so you had to do something, you know, correct yeah. to get those points and just like trying to see, you know, where the successes are and where, where the growth is happening. I think, as you know, it's, it's hard sometimes for us coaches to see that, but, but I think it's important that we're emphasizing that to our players so they understand that, like, we're appreciating the process uh, that they're going through of growing and learning. Mm -hmm. So that process, 
of growing, whether it's like individual or as a team, uh, you've I'm sure seen this many times where, where players, you brought up a story earlier about players like hit the wall where they just are like, you know, coach or, or you know, whoever, like I, I'm doing all this stuff, but like, I'm just, I'm just not getting anywhere. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not improving to the level that like I want to improve and whether that's a mental wall, emotional wall or physical wall, what are some ways that you and then as like coaches we can try and push our players when they hit that wall and they just feel like I'm not getting anywhere I'm not growing at all yeah and so you know I mean like the number one thing I would it's like you know just like assessing kind of from burnout because it's one of those things uh -huh. where it's like if they're playing 12 months out of the year which you know this whole corona situation you know one of the blessings within it is hey you know some of these athletes really got a break for the first time in a really yes. long time where I had athletes that were like some golfers that golf opened up i'm in pennsylvania it opened up and they hadn't been out for a long time because like winter you know <laughs> they were like oh my gosh i love it again you know and so so it, sometimes you know if there is that like i just you know if it's hitting a wall in that capacity you know that's having a conversation of whether it's some strategic time off or like just making things fun but you know when it's like we're hitting plateaus and and it's just like i'm trying to do all these things just choose one it's all about just intentional practice. There's actually this great book called Talent Codes where um, the gentleman that wrote the book went around to these, what he defined as talent hotbeds mm -hmm. of like so much success, but doesn't necessarily make sense as to why. Mm -hmm. So like John Wooden, like so many championships, but like why? And then, like, there was, I forget the exact place, but it's, like, some really tiny tennis facility in Russia, like, rural Russia. But this, like, jankety, you know, facility somehow produces an inordinate amount of incredibly international successful tennis players. Hmm. Or, like, Brazil with soccer, where it's, like, there's not necessarily a ton of funding for facilities. And so it's like, what was it about these talent hotbeds? Yeah. And what it comes down to is intentional practice, where if I go into practice, rather than, oh my gosh, I have to fix all these different things and all these different things. So I'm, I'm digging a bunch of little holes in terms of my focus. If I choose one thing and I choose one thing that day in practice or that week in practice, that every single time I am shooting a three-pointer, I am making sure that like I am executing it from like the proper position and doing that well, or like just one thing. Mm -hmm. If I'm intentionally focused on that one thing, it's very much like that getting back to the basics, like narrowing it down. But if I'm able to just focus on that one thing, it's, first of all, mentally less scattered, where I'm actually yeah. like, yeah. okay, this one thing, this is my goal for the practice. Secondly, I'm actually able to make progress because mm -hmm. instead of digging like 10 different holes with trying to focus on 10 different things, I focus on one. Mm -hmm. So I can actually make some progress on that hole because that's where all of my attention and focus is going towards. Mm -hmm. And then finally, if I'm intentionally focusing on that one thing, and say it's for like every week I choose one thing and that's my thing that week that I really focus on. Well, now I'm going to be able to see my progress in that one thing, not only because I'm working on it, but because I'm intentionally or yes, intentionally paying attention to it. And so that one thing, that intentional practice um, even for an athlete that's not in a rut or a slump is incredibly beneficial and, and truthfully how you get the most out of a practice. But when it's like, you're kind of in that moment of nothing is working, like I just, ugh, one thing, 
and yeah. let's focus on that one thing, get that one thing right. And, or not even right. It's never going to be like perfect. Right. But right, then, better. all right, yeah. let's move on to the next one thing. And in that way, it can kind of build on itself. And well, that making progress or seeing improvements, whether and if they're focusing on that one thing, that sort of will probably lead to them being more successful. And then we just talked about motivation and like if success can lead to more motivation, then it's it kind of all is like a really good cycle of them improving, them seeing success, them feeling more motivated. And like you said, it, it, it's very difficult to get better at like 10 different things that you're spending just a little bit of time on and, and just stretching yourself so thin. But if you can just zero in and focus on just getting better at one, seeing yourself get better at the other, then hopefully that will lead to like that, a really good mindset of like, okay, well then now I can try and get better at this other thing that I'm going to dedicate my time to. Mm -hmm. So as player i mean players as we know and when we're and this is we've kind of been leading to talking a little bit about burnout and, and players burning out and they're they're playing a lot you know especially in basketball we see like aau and club and then their team and and they're just playing 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 and doing that all the time as coaches i know we have to be very aware of that and very aware of the fact that we don't want our players burning out and we don't want to be the ones hopefully we don't want to be the ones who are burning them out how can we as coaches recognize that recognize like when our players are are they're just burned out and they just need need a break because i know we feel so much pressure sometimes as coaches to like have mm -hmm. success and to keep go 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 and keep going but there's going to be a certain point where when they're burned out, they're burned out and we're not going to get right. any further than that. So are there ways that we as coaches can recognize whether they're overt or not that like, okay, our players are, they're just done. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, you know, like the signs of burnout of just like constantly tired, not motivated, you know, and so keeping an eye on that, but you know, part of it for coaches is just having awareness kind of of the logistics of, not necessarily saying have a spreadsheet for, for every member of your team, because everybody is a little bit different, but for basketball, as an example, like I can think of a lot of easy ways to play basketball 12 months out of the year. If I wanted to, I could, and I could be on a team, you know, summer league, fall, preseason for winter, winter right into AAU, and that's mm -hmm. almost yeah. give or take a couple weeks, like, and same thing with volleyball, same thing with swimming, and so in and, and honestly, like the majority of sports anywhere anyway, but so having that awareness of just like, okay, this is for a lot of these athletes, like a 12 or 11, 10 month commitment, that's a lot. And so if they do have like another club or like something that they have to miss your practice, okay, that's fine. I mean, okay, if it's you know, like, it is your in-season, like, and you, like you, you know, it's, it's the basketball in-season, like, all right, then maybe a little bit less permissible then. But if it's like AAU, if it's the fall, if it's the summer and they have a vacation or maybe they do play another sport so they just have to miss Mondays. Yeah. Okay. All right. You know, yes, they're not going to be at your practice that day, but when you get them back on Tuesday, you're probably going to get more out of them anyway. Mm -hmm. And so having this, that awareness, having that like, you know, and again, I'm not talking about when like you're knee deep in season, like that's, I'm not, I'm, I'm not saying that, but if it is theoretically like your sports off season, having just those reasonable expectations and mm -hmm. having like reasonable amount of things. Also, whether it's in season or not, 
just because you're having practice does not necessarily mean you have to spend the entire two hours doing the same thing. So mixing right. it up, even if you're playing basketball the entire time, play different games or just do different things where you're challenging them to utilize the same or similar skill sets. You're just not going through the same. I have some athletes that can literally give me like a minute by minute breakdown of what's going to happen in their practice because their coaches never change it. So not only are they doing it all the time, but they're just like, yep, we start off with this, then we do this, then we do that, and blah, 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 and then it's done. And then on Thursdays, we blah, blah, like, it's just the same. And so mixing it up, you know, keeping it different. And then also, there's so much utility and function to having out-of-the-gym practices, whether that's, like, a team float trip or a team backyard movie night or a team insert other socially distanced yet quarantine and safe for the current time. Like there are things that we can do. And even though, yeah, you're not practicing, but maybe as a team, you go run a 5k. Well, there's your conditioning for your Saturday practice, but it's fun. They're out, they're doing something different. And so mixing those things up and, and, you know, I think we define what practices sometimes quite rigidly, you know, where going out running a 5k is still getting your athletes like a really awesome thing. It doesn't look like practice, but it totally can count as practice. And right. so finding some of those ways, and I have some coaches that are really awesome that I work with that like their athletes never know when, but like two to three times throughout the course of a season, they surprise them with just like, oh, we are doing nothing but like really fun relay races and like, and they never know yeah. when. So they know, but they just know that it's a thing that happens. And the coaches intentionally tell, like intentionally don't tell them when, because the coaches don't even know when, mm -hmm. but they know when their team needs it. And yeah. so that could fall at different points in the season based on, you know, however that season is going or that the composition of that team. Mm -hmm. But man, when they have to like throw that card and run that play, they do it. and just rejuvenates things and so you know we don't necessarily have to stick to like the real true definitions of, of what we conceptualize as practice you can still do other things and taking a two-hour practice to have a movie night or to have like a yoga or like just do something totally different is yeah. gonna have so much maybe not direct basketball influence but in terms of the team the season the culture it's going to be so helpful that in the long run yeah it actually does come back to basketball yeah, it, it, just doing things to shake things up, and and it's it's almost scary that story you said about the girls who just can right. rattle off practice. To me, that's goes, well, the, it, and then to in a certain extent, when that when that happens, it's like you're just kind of going for the motions, and it's just sort of like robotic, and that you you kind of need the disruption, and and all those things also just build team building and they, they build like the team togetherness and, and if you want your team to, to function really well and, and do those things on the court and trust each other you know just doing some fun things or doing just some fun teamwork activities or just stuff that isn't basketball related but where they can just be together and like do stuff together and, and have fun and enjoy each other's company in a different way like you're gonna like you said you're gonna see those benefits later on even if it isn't a you know structured two-hour like formal practice so with that there is the other the the other kind of coin there with burnout in that uh luckily i have never faced this I, I hope i don't but i probably will at some point is that a lot of the burnout and a lot of the pressure is coming from from parents and we as coaches try to include parents and we love when they're involved but 
as we know, sometimes parents can be that source of stress and be that source of pressure on our athletes. And so how does the, the conversation go, go with you with parents to like try and help parents like take a step back? And, and how could we as coaches try to delicately have that conversation with parents that maybe they're doing a little bit too much and actually kind of having a negative impact on, on their kids' performance and, and how they're doing? Yeah. And that's, there's, right. There's so many things of just like, Hey, what are, what are those unconditional, like both verbal and nonverbal messages that you're sending? Like how much emphasis do you put on it? Like what, what's, what happens after the sport? Um, I was telling like, never talk to your kids if they've had a bad game after, like, unless they want to have the conversation. But like for the majority of athletes I work with, like the car ride home is the most miserable experience for them because then it's just like get it from their parents um and so you know for that parents it really you know it kind of goes back to that that question that i said i I'd posed to all of the parents in the beginning of whenever i do parent talks of like why did you get your kid in this yeah. you know and it, and it comes back to that list of character qualities jump ahead in the talk and coaches by all means steal this idea i show them a video and it was from, oh my goodness, I don't remember the year specifically. It was a couple years ago now. But if you Google it, it is quite easy to find. It is a U12 softball tournament. And it was like a parent brawl. So U12. So let's just like take 20 seconds. Not even 20 seconds. Just take a moment to think about, all right, 12. Okay. And it is, it's on one hand, it's my least favorite video to show because it is just excruciating to watch where it's these parents and there's people screaming and they're trying to pull one another off. And like these dads are throwing punches. You see girls, like the athletes crying. One athlete's trying to pull their dad off of someone. And I never stop it early. It is like, it's nails on a chalkboard to watch, but I get through it and I don't even set it up. And I said, so when that clip is over, I say, so, Remember those qualities that we were talking about at the beginning. How many of those do you think were here now? Like what messages are they sending? And so I think because it's such an extreme like clip that the pair, it's, it's, it's kind of a very like, oh, you're not that bad. You know, like, what, like look at someone that's real bad and it can then be like, oh, yeah, we're not that bad, but maybe, maybe we have some room for improvement there. And so, you know, and, and, and I just talk about it of like, you know, th it's so easy for this, right? It's a financial investment. It's time. It's like your weekends, you know, it's everything. And we can lose sight of that because then it's like, and I've had athletes tell me this or like their parents will say, if you don't start playing better, I'm not paying for this anymore. Yeah. I've heard that too. Where it's like, oh, okay. So this kid's already stressed about playing. And now you're going to put that ultimatum on them. That's going to go well, really well. Mm -hmm. And so it's taking that, okay, I got to like take that step back and remind myself, why did I choose to put my kid in this? Because at the end of the day, more often than not, the parents were the ones that chose it a long time ago, you know, and, and that's always something that I'm like, hey, you made that financial choice when they were little to get them in this. If you want to choose to take them out, you can, yeah. but just know like that's not on them typically you know kids play the sports that their parents initially signed them up for you know and a lot of yeah. them do come with a big financial thing and so so i think just just taking that step back and showing that and, and on the, the opposite side of that or not the opposite side but in conjunction with that is parents like 
you were a person before you were a parent. Mm -hmm. You have to take care of your emotional health. Right. Like if you're burnt out, that's, that's going to be tough to then have that emotional energy that you need for when your kid needs you, you know, cause ultimately as a parent, like you're that emotional sounding board and there may be some like teenage parents out there like my kids don't talk to me about anything. <laughs> right. They may not, but they're around your house. Yeah. Right. And the behaviors that you model, you taking a break for yourself. Something I tell parents all the time is how your kid right now, your kid that might be 10 or 12, how your kid takes care of themselves when they're 45 is how you're taking care of yourself now. Mm -hmm. They're not making that like, but how they see you, if you're not giving yourself time for self-care, if you're not doing these, they're, they don't have that model. Yeah. They don't know that that's a thing. And so you need to prioritize yourself. And sometimes when there is that opportunity of like more positive emotional health from the parent side, we're putting the sports in perspective, you know, then right. that system at home surrounding the sport can become um, just less conflictual. Well, I, it, it's, it seems so simple, but I'm actually not sure if I've really heard of, heard of that term spoken that way about like parent burnout. And that's like, that's so true too, that parents can burn out too and, and, and yeah. go through that situation where they're, where they're going through that. So yeah, it's, it's just something that you definitely have to be mindful of is that parents can kind of go through that same burnout and go through that same experience. And then the kids are going to see that and the kids might, it, it could be, it could be a cycle if, oh, if, totally. if it's, if it's left to be that way. But I think that it's just important to be aware of is that, you know, parents, sometimes they, they feel a lot of pressure. Maybe you feel the same. I'm, I'm sure you've seen this too, where you feel like the parents want the kids success for themselves more than for like the kid themselves and to be aware of that. And, you know, yeah. like, who is, who is this really for? Is this like for yeah. you? Is this, is this for the athlete? And just, just having that conversation. And it sounds like it'd be a huge benefit for coaches to have that meeting with parents and kind of lay through expectations. Uh, is that something that you would recommend? Is that coaches meet with parents before the season and kind of go over similar yeah. things like that? I've had coaches and I've, <laughs> I've been emailed, I'm not kidding, 10 page documents that were contracts that the coaches would have parents sign before things. And I mean, I mean, I'm not necessarily say like always recommending that, but I mean, it's <laughs> very much like if you like, and this was a high school program, a varsity high school program. So at that, you know, the expectations are going to be a little bit different in terms of communication than for middle school and things like that. But it was like, this is our absentee policy. This is the values that we're, you know, here for if there's a situation like, you know, if your kids don't think you're in playing time or pro like, we don't want to hear from you. We want to hear mm -hmm. from the athletes. This is, this is their opportunity to start growing their voice of assertion, you know? And so they, yeah. they did have a meeting and they went through this contract, um, not only of the things in it, but just some of the rationale behind it of like, oh, it's not because we, I mean, we're not trying to be callous and, you know, like never talk to you like parents, but we're trying to teach your athletes this. And then also, by the way, if you're going to college to play, like, and you're on a and you're, that, no. So we're trying yeah. to teach them now, like yeah. how to do wean, these wean things. Them off a bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, so I think that's a, it's a great, it's a great thing, you know, for coaches and parents at the beginning of a season, you know, whether it's the mission statement, the core values of the team, whether it is like some type of contract that mm -hmm. then you can refer to back, you know, but just having that, 
opportunity without the athletes there just to be like, hey, this is the perspective where we're coming from. This is the culture we're working towards creating. This is like our vision of how we're trying to do it, you know, and and just to get them bought in and on board. And if they do question it or have an opportunity or, you know, awesome question here, you know, at any point in the season question here, what we would rather you not do is, you know, when you're at home, just talk about how stupid this is because then the kid is going to come home and not be bought in. And that's, you know, the the Uh modeling of, of that disrespect, you know, just come directly to us and we would love to, you know, it's a, lot of layers yeah well you know it's putting it out there well it's 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 a great thing to think about too i think for coaches is building that relationship with the parents and having them understand kind of like the expectations and and what's going to be happening that season i think lets the parents know and if the parents and the coaches are working together then the parent hopefully won't be like cursing out the coach to their kid at the end of a game or something like that and then creating like this unneeded tension where you know Mm. oh well my parent doesn't like like my coach and now it's like now my parent is telling me to do this my coach is telling me to do this and like that um, i can't imagine how messy that could be when a kid when an athlete is hearing like who do i listen to or who do i like you know go to my coach or or my parent and next thing you know we're just pulling our athletes you know in both directions where we could hopefully just solve this if the parent and the coach right. are working together <laughs> right? to, to help and then, the athlete improve. Yeah. And, and going back to what we were talking about in the beginning, like these are just teenagers, mm-hmm. you know, and having them with like the, this being in between a coach and a parent, like, ugh, that's just awful. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to, don't want to have the athlete try to be the one no. to, to break up the fight between no. <laughs> their parent and, and their coach. Yeah. But it, it's, and, and no, and like you said, no, no parent, ever like thinks that that oh this is I'm, uh, that's how I'm gonna act or anything like that but then yeah. you know, things happen and all of a sudden like that's oh what my ends goodness. Up happening right so much and I, I make this comparison when I when I go to do this this parent talk of just hey you know if you're sitting in this room or even if you're listening to this podcast as a parent like your intentions are so good you know like you care you're driving them you're paying you're like listening you're doing all these things um, if I as a sports psychologist were to prepare someone's taxes, I would go into it with really good intentions. Like I wouldn't want to mess it up. I would, you know, but like, that's not my area. I wouldn't know some of the questions that I would need to ask. I wouldn't know some of the like deductions. Like I'm just not because I don't have really good intentions. It's just not the world that I live in. And so for parents of student athletes, the intentions are good but we just don't always have the knowledge or information just because it's not, it's not the world that you're always living in or learning about. And so that's where, you know, having, and someone always likes a sports site. I was like, that's why I'm here talking to you guys. You know, it's, it's just because of this. Whereas you would never come to me to ask me to do your taxes. And if yeah. you did, I think you would be crazy, you know, <laughs> but because it's just, that's the world I live in. And so I, I kind of use that analogy of like, you know, we all have good intentions. And as a parent, if even if you're finding as you're listening to this list that I'm talking about that you're doing some of those things wrong, it's not because you're doing them intentionally or that you're doing them because you don't want the best for your kid. You're now just being given some additional information that you might not have had before. 
Yeah, that's 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 a great analogy. It's like it's like if I were to coach swimming, I'd be the best swimming coach that I could be, uh, but I'd be mm -hmm. a terrible swim coach. <laughs> but I would I'd do my best, <laughs> but I I would not be good at it. And it's, yeah, it's the same thing. It's like if you have you know resources and people who are like dedicated to this, and you know this is what they're they're doing their life's work is to try and help in these areas, utilize those resources. You know, seek them out. I think that for whatever reason and i think it's changing but there still is that stigma about like you know whether it's like sports psychology or any sort of like resource for like mental health as if like there's something wrong with the mm -hmm. player or anything but like i that couldn't be further from the truth and and so i want to make sure that you're you're advocating as well like for the importance of it and trying to totally. destigmatize you know, mental health is like something that, oh, like something's wrong with me if I need to go see like a sports psychologist. To me, like it's, it's absolutely the opposite. Like you're advocating yep. for yourself and you're, you're trying to better yourself. Totally. 100%. So to uh, wrap up, what I want to make sure that, that you're able to do, you mentioned the, the 12 circles thing, which I thought was awesome. Is there any other um, like tip or, or strategy that you could recommend for whether it's a coach or a player to just like keep in mind or kind of have in their toolbox totally. as we're moving forward? Breathing. I say breathing so much because it is literally one of the best tools that you have and it's free. It's always with you. You can never leave it at home. When we take a deep breath, our body slows down. Our muscles relax. Our brain slows down. And so when we're in those pressure-filled situations and like our body just speeds up, all of that automatic stuff that happens in my body, the only automatic function that myself or you or any human can control is your breathing. And so our breathing is this really awesome tool that we always constantly have at our disposal that can help us slow down, relax, and just compose. I, like if I had like a jar of glitter here, I would like shake it up <laughs> because it's like, okay, you cannot see through it. But if I just take a moment and pause, all of the glitter would soak to the bottom and I'd be able to see through it. Same amount of crap is in the jar. I just took a moment to slow down. And that's what breathing does for us. And so in terms of coaches, what um, I always recommend is integrating it into your routine. And so every time out, start of practices, start of meetings, like, hey, all right, guys, we're going to take a deep breath. Or even if, like, you're doing foul shot drills or just different drills of, like, hey, when you're on that line, you take a deep breath, blah, blah, blah. And then, like, adding that and integrating it into your routine as part of your practice. And it literally takes what? All right, guys, we're going to take a deep breath, you know. 10 seconds of time and maybe if you want to teach on how to do it any like diaphragmatic breathing um there's plenty of videos that you can find online i might even have videos online for it but it's just such a powerful tool that i as i said before it is free you can literally never leave it at home <laughs> you don't need anything else to help you do it and it is so helpful for us not only physically and like the slowdown and the yeah. oof, but mentally really helpful as well. And, you know, for coaches, I know, I'm sure any coach listening out there, you have had those meetings where you're talking and you're talking and you're talking at people, but there's no one there. There's like no drivers behind the wheel. And so doing like some of that breathing, even of just, all right, guys, we're going to take a couple deep breaths. Let's just like focus on our breathing. That can help take wherever their heads are and, and bring it back down with you, which yeah. even though maybe that's like taking a couple minutes out of the meeting, well, at least you're probably going to have a little bit of a better attendance. <laughs> yeah, that is true. 
Yeah, and it just it's, it's it seems so simple, but but breathing, right? And just just taking taking a step to just make sure that you're breathing, because I think so often we don't even realize that like if we're just like breathing or our heartbeats going really fast, and we like physiologically sometimes like aren't even recognizing it until mm -hmm. we do like take a breath, let ourselves kind of reset, like you said, of like the glitter, and just sort of gather ourselves because I know as coaches, especially you know one of the toughest things that we deal with is is the idea of just saying something that like we didn't really mean but we just like said it just to say it and then that might be the thing that sticks with a kid might be something that we just said off the top of our head out of frustration and then it's like well that's going to be the thing that kid remembers is we said that even though it was just something we said mm -hmm. out of frustration because we didn't take that breath so yeah i, I think that's something to keep in mind just just breathe yeah. <laughs> regardless of the situation yeah and finally like the last one just being like for coaches just modeling behaviors that you want to see your team have yeah whether that is like slowing in for a moment taking a deep breath or like listening being on time i i i will never stop using this example i went in meeting with the team for the first time um you know i talked spoken with the coach on the phone and like he was introducing me to the team and man it was like my own personal hype video. I was like, okay, wow, all right, like, <laughs> cool. And so I get up there and I'm, I'm starting to introduce myself to the team. I see, I, you know, we're in a room. It's not like that you can't not see. I just see the coach like walk to the back, which like, all right, cool. But I'm not kidding you. He immediately whipped out his phone and sat on his phone for the entire meeting. And so in my head, I'm just like, Oh, buddy, you are just missing a really great opportunity. Yes, you hyped me up verbally, but you are showing them that this is nothing, that this isn't important and that you're not taking it seriously because you're just sitting there on their phone. So not only are you probably modeling the phone behavior that you yell at them for, but you're also showing them that this is something they can kind of check out on. Yeah. And you haven't said a word. All you did was this for an hour but still and so it's modeling those behaviors like you said earlier kids are so much smarter than we give them credit for they're watching and they see you and social learning theory like a very big part of for humans is how we learn is by watching other people yeah. and so if they're modeling certain things well i'm going to do it and so for coaches it's it's being aware of i mean cell phone usage being earlier on time responding like yelling at refs or not how you respond to a win or a loss they're watching and yeah. so it, it's modeling those behaviors that you want in your team and if you're constantly on your athletes about being early or their phones or blah blah and you're doing those things too like that's not gonna it's not gonna go over too well yeah uh, yeah absolutely they will they'll recognize when the things that that a coach says doesn't translate to what they're actually doing and then yeah, yeah. The, the whole message is lost and then you can definitely lose lose a team and lose your players if like your words and your actions don't line up yeah that that's true and that's that story is that that's crazy to, to just, <laughs> that somebody just be so excited to verbally hype you up and it's like all right I did my job and i'm just gonna go check out now like that's i'm that's telling wild. you guys, fast forward <laughs> 20 years from now if you and i are like like our paths go I'll still be telling that story. Yeah, I guarantee yeah. you, I'll still be telling that right. story. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure I got stories too from when I, that I'll still be telling in 20 years. Those are the ones that, it's funny because that coach then probably didn't even think really anything of it and has no idea probably that that's like a story that you're going to like <laughs> continually Forever. be telling. So yeah, you never know like what's going to be the thing that like 
is going to be remembered and what they're going to yeah, do. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Case, yeah. Right. So to wrap up, I want to give you uh, what I call like my 60-second soapbox to kind of get out your final thought, your closing thought to kind of reemphasize anything that you want. So I'm going to give you the floor uh, to go ahead and, and go ahead on your soapbox, so to speak. Awesome. Well, on my soapbox, I would say point one, if, if a person listening has never explored or looked into the world of sports psychology, just look into it. Try it. There's, there's things out there. It's totally an area of training that not only, yes, is super helpful for sport performance, but we're people in addition to athletes. And there is that emotional and mental component just to our worlds and life. And no athlete can leave school, home, all that stuff just out or off of the court. It's, it's, it's not possible. You know, there, we're gonna have those thoughts. And so giving them different tools and encouraging that. If athletes are trying it, you know, again, modeling that positive behavior for it, just being, saying, hey, it is okay to not be okay or to want to look in other directions for it um you know sports at the end of the day is a character building opportunity and it's one of what i believe which is why i work in the world of sports like it, i believe it to be one of if not the best way for us to really foster really positive character qualities through different types of adverse situations if it's done right and as the adults in the sport world we have the opportunity to make it right and to make the athletes that are going through get those messages so that then when they're adults in the world you know that's those are the qualities we would love to see and then when they're the coaches that gets passed on yeah that's that's it's kind of like the the legacy that we we get to leave behind almost in in us as coaching is like what players do we leave like how do we leave them as people when they're done with mm -hmm. their sport right what character building traits have we put in because the the, the legacy is going to be for us like how successful they are just just as adults and as people and, and i say this all the time like if the only thing i ever do as a coach was all i did was teach you basketball then i've, I've done something wrong but there's something that i've done wrong if that's all you're going to get out of that relationship with me and so i think that's a that's a great thing and I think that's so important to emphasize. And again, yeah, like if you're curious about sports psychology, like it's, it seems, it seems great. It seems like something, if you're passionate about it, explore it, see if it works for you and, and give it, give it a shot. <laughs> so I want to thank you again for, for joining us, uh, Dr. Cannon. This was great. And this was awesome and super informative. And I think that there's so much reflection that we can do as coaches or even as players or parents who are listening and, and just making sure that we are keeping the mental health aspect on our mind and, and just making sure that we're promoting positive mental health and positive choices. So I want to thank you again. Thank you so much for joining us to talk about this. Absolutely. I, I really appreciate you having me. This was a very fun conversation. Great. I'm glad to hear it. And I hope that those listening felt the same way. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening or watching. Uh, this was another edition of the Basketball Teacher Podcast. We'll see you guys next time. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Basketball Teacher Podcast. Make sure to connect with us on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, or reach us directly through email at basketballteacherpodcast at gmail.com. Take care, be safe, and we'll see you next time.